Hello, Catherine Williamson. Episode 5 of Gobstopper. Well, Jill, psychological safety. It's a real buzzword at the moment. There's at least a couple of organisations I'm coaching in where they've got big programmes rolling out. So when you're talking about psychological safety, what are you really talking about? I think you're talking about organisations where people feel comfortable to challenge, to offer ideas, to experiment, and where they feel comfortable to be themselves without being ridiculed, um, in danger of losing their job, or bullied at work. You know, it's an organisation where I don't feel fear. So... If I think of some of the jobs I've done and the organisations I've been in in my corporate career, um, standouts for me, it's like you can remember your best teacher and your worst teacher. You don't really remember average. But the best times I've had is when I remember I had a brilliant boss called Noel. I'd ring up 20 minutes on the way home. He soothed my fears. Um, he was got great boundaries. He made sure that I was, you know measured properly he raised the bar and I remember him well because I really excelled in that environment mm. I've got another boss won't mention that one where as a team we were absolutely terrified mm. I mean if the briefcase came sliding down the office you just flinched because you knew we were all in for it it did engender actually an incredible team because we were all protecting each other from absolutely not getting each other in trouble in the end I left because it was really intimidatory um, this is an old style model, but if we're talking about it now and we're doing and raising it in awareness, we still must have organisations and cultures where people feel frightened or you've got mechanisms now for whistleblowing. Presumably, if everybody felt they could speak out and challenge their boss, there would be no need for whistleblowing. Absolutely. One's, one's a consequence of the other mm, not existing. Mm. So what's present in an organisation Whose responsibility is it to bring about psychological safety? I think it works at every level. I think it starts with leadership and with leaders actually raising it as a almost as um, a topic without using that phrase. Personally, I don't like the phrase psychological safety. I'd much rather people talked about having a culture where every person feels comfortable to be their best and to do their best, where... Um, any sort of prejudice or discrimination or ridicule is actually called out. And then I think it, it needs to roll out at every level of the organisation. But we know, because we've heard within the last few weeks about the police, about the fire service, about MPs and ministers, that we don't have psychologically safe places for people to work in. And as a result of that, I think we see huge fallout. And it seems to me that in a world where we're short of labour, we're going to get shorter of labour. Um, only today I was talking to someone in a, a veterinary practice who was saying, you know, since Brexit, people don't realise how hard it is for us to get nurses. Mm. And just creating sticky environments where people want to say they don't feel they want to leave as you did. Mm. It's just an important thing to do. Mine was more um, launching an escape mission yeah. <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So 
there is a strong motivator there, isn't there? Yeah. There's a, a commercial aspect to organisations. There is a consequence to the bottom line because recruiting people, bringing people in, the money it takes to get somebody onboarded and performing has a strong financial Absolutely. consequence. Now, I think of psychological safety for me, if we're using that terminology, in my old world, you know, when you used to go for interviews, for instance, if you walked into a reception, you weren't given a warm welcome or you were sat there, sat on your seat and then you went up into the interview office and you got the, the small chair, they've got the big chair, you know, your chair's got a wobbly leg, the sun's coming in on your face and you've still got to perform <laughs> and prove that you're employable. The last thing people were engendering was a psychologically safe environment, were they? Um but actually, you don't really want to work for companies like that, do you? You want to get off of the job, but you just think that, oh, God, that's a relief. That's all over. And it's down to those things. It's the environment, you know. It, what What's our environment like? Mm. Do we feel comfortable mm. in it? Mm. Because we've been able to create our own environments. We've been able to stay at home for a couple of years and organisations having to get people back, aren't they? Yeah. So it's really important when those people come back mm that what's waiting for them, they feel that, you know, it's better than being at home with the puppy you bought in lockdown with the nicely decorated office and the lifestyle choices that you were enjoying and now you've been called back. So presumably that's the reason why organisations are putting the focus on it. I think it's one of the reasons and I think it's, I think once one person calls it out, other people, you need one brave person mm. and then other people will start to open up. When you were talking just... It made me think about when I was looking for a secondary school for my daughter mm. and I can remember going round some schools and they were trying to impress the parents. It was when you were talking about interviews and so much was laid on for parents. But the one we decided would be the best one, we, we had a family conference about it, but it was just noticeable that the whole focus was on the children. Mm. And the whole focus was, was the room for the children to sit down? Could they see what was going on? It wasn't about impressing parents particularly. It was much more about these are our customers. And being really clearly aware of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think most parents could associate with that, that notion that, I want, I want to send my child somewhere where I know they're going to be safe. And, and again, I've probably said this in a podcast that when I'm interviewing people to take on manager roles, my ultimate question to myself is, would I want my daughter to be managed by this person? Because you would be looking for what, if from a psychological safety perspective? Because I'd be looking for someone who was going to hold her to account because that's what we need to do but someone who would show her care, respect and who would encourage her to grow and to learn and to thrive and to be a better human being at the end of that workplace experience than they were before. Mm. That's, what, that's what you're looking for. And I think it does start at the top. I can think of, um, of an organisation that I work for um, that has recently had a change of CEO and... Um, it's been a dramatic change in culture and it's quite a hard place to work now, really. But because the CEO really struggles to take any sort of criticism, you know that they're not going to thrive 
in a competitive, innovative world because you're never going to get better ideas than that CEO's ideas. Okay, so the limitation is that nobody can be brighter or able or capable than them. And that's not why you become a leader. You become a leader to enable every person to shine so that together you create lots of capability. So have you encountered these sort of enlightened leaders then that, or, or, or could reference one that really nails yeah, it? Yeah, so one of the best CEOs I've ever worked for is someone who, when something happened that wasn't so great, he would often say things like, do you know, I probably didn't explain this so well. This is what I meant by it. Someone who noticed when people did well and called them out for it. Someone who acknowledged systemic failures and said, I have to accept some responsibility here. We might all have messed up, but ultimately the book stops with me. Um, And someone who encouraged people to actually experiment. I I can remember uh, a situation where we were trying to improve the way in which a process worked for customers. And so three, they actually called them laboratory teams, were set up to trial different ways of making this work for customers. And all of them came back to share what had happened and to look at what had gone right and to look at what had gone wrong so that we could learn from mistakes. And it's that attitude of being able to learn from mistakes that's part of what this is about as well. So I've got a really good sense of a a leader that's um, creating a culture or an environment of psychological safety. How do you know it exists at team level? What's happening in that team? Um, what are they committed to? Or, or, or what is that that brings around this term psychological safety? What are we observing? Can I tell you a story about something that happened a week ago tomorrow? So I'd driven quite a long way to the east of England and I'm with a team that I've met them all online, but I'd never met them face to face before. And they're going to have a new team leader who's someone in the organisation um, who they know of only by rumour and surmise, whose existing team is being joined with their team. This organisation is downsizing, has brought two teams together. And I think they're wondering, are we next? Are we going to be downsized next? Will she prefer her existing team to our team? How's this going to be? And we go into this room and there's there's chit-chat but there's a kind of awkwardness that you can sense. And um, the team leader, the new team leader opens by saying, do you know, I felt really nervous about today and I would imagine you feel nervous as well. Let me tell you why I feel nervous. And he's very open about the fact that she feels that they might feel that she's going to reject them, that There isn't an agenda around rejection, that none of their jobs are going to go, that because you're bringing two teams together, everyone's job is going to need to change. And that would have happened anyway, even if the two teams hadn't come together because the world is changing. But that today is about building the foundations of trust so that they feel comfortable to learn together, to challenge one another and to just do the best job they can together for the people they're there to serve. I bet the whole room sighed relief, didn't well, it? Well, I sighed relief because <laughs> I was facilitating the day. <laughs> so the Uber leader that says, I, have, I put my hands up, I have a responsibility. So taking responsibility 
creates a boss that will put their hands up and say, yeah, I got that yeah. wrong, but also has that sort of bit of humility to say, I'm not perfect, but I'm working at it. The vulnerability of a boss to say, I'm feeling nervous, so I imagine you are too. So, you know, it's bowling the ball down the alley of our mutual dear fan love of um, Brene Brown, isn't it? The stuff yeah, that, that she talks a lot about. Stuff. Yeah, vulnerability stuff, yeah. I mean, something else that happened in that meeting is that... Um, she was very open about who she was. She wasn't falsely humble. You mm. know, it wasn't a false humility. She said, this is what I know I'm good at. But this I'm just not good at at all. And I need people in the team who can just back me here. Self-awareness. And and we talked, she and I had obviously talked a little bit beforehand, though not that much because she'd only been off holiday for a couple of days. Um but we talked about what different people in that team might bring that she really needed. And she's someone who needs completer finishers. She needs people who are into compliance and safety. And that's not who she is. Mm. And just being able to acknowledge that and say, you know, it's all right not to be not to be the complete package. We need to be a complete team, not a complete individual. You've just made me think about something, Jill. I might go off on a tangent here, but I've been... Self-employed one, I've got a very um, stable um, client base and I've got some really deep relationships in there. I don't belong to the organisation, but these are people I feel I pick up the phone and, you know, I don't have the perfect coaching session all the time when we run events. We have to, But I actually think about them and I think, actually, I really like working with those people. I care for them and they care mm. for me. I'm, we're, I'm not on the payroll in the, the traditional sense, but there is a relationship that exists where I feel I can pick the phone up and say, hands up, you know, and, and talk it through without fear of mm. reprisal or any, you know, we handle thousands of secrets. So we mm. have to walk an incredible line of confidentiality, but we still need to have a sense of belonging, don't we? That yeah. we're not, That we're not sort of like the scissors between the blades of scissors of organisations and um, people that work there. So it matters to us too. Us freelancers need to feel we have a sense of... I know why I left. I left Corporate Light 23 years ago because I can't ever in a time remember feeling more unsafe. And I absolutely decided nobody would ever make me feel that terrified again. Yeah. And that's... I never wanted to be self-employed, but I didn't want to be terrified. No, no, and I agree with that. Tomorrow, the company I'm going to work with is uh, somewhere I've worked, like you, I've worked there for a very long time. And I remember during the pandemic, they really went out of their way to keep connection with their people. And um, I remember just sharing with someone there that my husband was going into hospital to have an operation and that he would be in there overnight and maybe over two nights. And they said, that evening we're doing an online Christmas wreath making. Would you like to be part of it? And they sent me through the post, this two wreath making kits, one for me, one for my husband to do when he was recovering. And you know, I'm not employed there. But you feel part of that family. But actually last week, or maybe, yeah, it was last week I was there, And uh, I interviewed someone for a job there, and I don't know whether we'll hire them or not, but I suspect we will. And I took her through to meet everyone, and she said, I just can't believe what it feels like to be here. And that's the sort of place you want to work. So that is one sort of, it's a feeling, 
Yeah. But that feeling is as tangible as the table. I'm not meant to bounce on, so I don't cause problems with the sound. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's a real sense that, that that individual, and within that thing that makes up that moment of feeling, it's an environment that we think people are heard, they can challenge. Their boss has the capacity and self-awareness to recognise they're not the omnipotent being. They make mistakes, they put their hands up to it, that they call out poor behaviours and that people feel included. All of that comes to a warm, warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah, and it was your bit. I mean, what what struck me, you talked about, you know, you go into reception Mm. and uh, this lady said every single person who's touched this application has just done it in the right way. Now... That it's interesting because the application has also been touched by the recruitment agency and by me, and I'm not employed by them. Mm. So there's something about their suppliers as well. Yeah, are people who catch doing... that. It's that synergy around this is this is what we value and and we treat people well here. So in terms of psychological safety, when you see it done well people feel when the recruiters are sniffing around they don't take the call because they feel that they they belong the sticky feeling yeah that they're valued that as individuals um it's a place where they can flourish they care they're cared for and they feel they can care for others because there's the space for the other stuff that you know the yeah the bits of human pastiming and um yeah. you know when you're not out fishing you're mending your nets you know there's this sense of uh, connection when it's done really badly what do we observe i think what we observe are people who feel afraid and who are not going to give their best at worst or people who just turn up and are present but are never going to volunteer the best they can give because why should they you know, when you, were, when you were describing what it looks like to flourish, it made me think of a greenhouse. And although my husband's been ill now for, for several weeks, every day he checks on his plants. Mm. <laughs> um, and in a sense, those environments where people are treated well and feel psychologically safe are greenhouses for human flourishing. And by the same definition, where they're not, treated well I think people become less human and less humane and I think it has an impact on everyone and I think if it if bad treatment of others is not called out then it becomes acceptable Mm. and evil prevails where a few good men do nothing absolutely right Mm. so Jill we've given that a bit of a bounce around so we've had a definition We've talked about the responsibility of the leader on high to to walk the talk, um, to put their hands up, to value and take care of their people. Um, we've talked about what it feels like to have psychological safety in the team. We've had a, a look at the individual responsibility in terms of their own self-awareness piece as well. So we've had a good dance around it, haven't we? Is there anything else you feel that's important to say before we say goodbye to our listeners and tell them about what we're going to do next so I think for me this is going to become more and more important economically because as labour gets shorter and shorter being able to attract and retain good people 
is going to be a mark of outstanding companies for the future. And that whole employee brand piece is going to become more and more part of your competitive strategy. So that's what I think. So it's not just about having nice fluffy meetings no, where everybody's feelings are being considered and if anybody's a bit outspoken, they have to be talked about, you know, because some people just do want to go into a meeting, take a few action points, don't they, Jill? <laughs> go back to the desk and achieve a few things. They don't have to have, you know, a committee meeting about wailing and gnashing. But if it's not attended to and it's not um, a priority, then the consequences that organisations that do it better, that are more switched on to the importance of having psychological safety, are going to be more attractive to the people that are just feeling it's just not yeah. good enough or bad enough to stay. Yeah, I remember <laughs> you and I facilitating a team session last year where a real turning point for one person was where they shared that They'd been to a session like that before. Yeah. And, and this was trashed. so different. Mm. And at that point, they became a contributor. Yeah. And we cannot... Aff- and, and it was a work session mm. and it was productive, but it was more productive because he contributed and felt safe to contribute. And for me, that's the hallmark of psychological safety. Yeah, because I become irrationally... In any group gathering, I become irrationally focused on the person that is continually not speaking. Because if I don't feel psychologically safe, now I think about it, I'm either gabbling like mad because I can't stop myself speaking. It's like spray and pray. Or if it's particularly bad and I just think I'm going to get told off, I just go completely quiet. Well, one's very distractive and (laughs) irritating. And if I'm very quiet in a room, then that makes other people feel nervous because that's not my normal state of being. Mm -hmm. But that's the way I'm going to express my fear are getting told off or criticised and then I clamp down on it and you're not going to get the best out of me when I feel like that. And that's a human feeling. Mm. So next time, I think you and I had toyed with the idea of doing something that looks at meaning and purpose and the importance of people having almost that spiritual intelligence that helps them to be more aware of how they create meaning and purpose in the work that they do every day does that sound like it could be well, a go spiritual intelligence sounds very exciting because i can't honestly put my hands up and say i know what it means <laughs> so, <laughs> so next time jill let's take them through spiritual intelligence and um let's hope that for all of you out there that are maybe struggling and feeling that you don't feel particularly safe in your teams that you have a better insight now either to call it out as a team leader or boss, or to express what you need to flourish. Amen. Amen. Bye. Bye-bye.